I'll get to the point. Laru, I have his books, I have his letters. Do you see these shoes? Laru's? No, but I'm sure he would have loved them. Vegetarian snack. I own 42 Laru houses. 42, to make it 43. You tell me how I'm going to do this. Tell me how I will do this. Do you help me? How, how will I do this? Well, I'm uh, glad you asked. His uh, Palmer Charnel house went for six, but that was ten years ago, and it didn't have this molding. I'd say a find like this in today's market is worth twice as much. He's a little connoisseur. Hello, listening people. Well, squeak, squeak, hello. Squeak, squeak, hello. How are you doing, Mr. Squeakerton? Good, Mr. Squeaksworth. How are you? <laughs> thank you. Thank you for following in on that. Uh, Bartek, we're both here. You are Bartek and I am Ryan and we are both on and the you're podcast. Ryan. Yes, we're both on the podcast today. Uh, we could have <laughs> Special easily... episode, it's both of us. <laughs> Sometimes it's not both of us. Sometimes I'm not here because there's just too many damn dogs in a movie and I can't be bothered <laughs> to show up. This time, there's cats in a movie, so you're definitely here. I don't think there was a dog in Wild Hogs. No, well, well, I think I think the, the dog the dog was Travolta himself. Maybe. He's a he's a hot he's a hot dog. <laughs> but uh we are Spin Posh Presents. Likely because we are always spitting and we both happen to be Polish. Polish is a thing that we uh, define ourselves as. We have Polish last names. Bartek even has a very Polish first name. For those who are not in the know, Bartek isn't even your your proper first name, is no, it? That's, no. that's to water it down for those uh, those darn non-Poles. Yes. For, for, for anyone who doesn't know, me calling myself Bartek is basically a guy called Thomas calling himself Tom. Mm, but what is the full version of your name then? My name is Bartłomiej Kaspszyszak. Don't forget the middle name. Ah, the middle name. Is it Polish, Ryan? Oh, I think it is. Yes, and you can. I think you can pronounce this one, right? No, no, it's oh, Piot, really? isn't it? Yeah, Piot. Piot, which is equivalent of what, Peter? Peter. Yes. So is St. Peter St. Piot? I guess he would be. You don't know? You don't go to Polish church? It's been a while. Is Polish church any different to normal church? Um, yeah, it is, I guess. How? Give me an example. Um, you know how, um, mm-hmm. the, the thing we do in this episode, it's, um... Podcasting. No, 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 I mean, yes, but, like, to do it, we have to, you know, speak English. Yeah, we don't do that in the Polish church. No, 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 in Polish church, they speak Polish. I know you would give me a joke, but I was curious if there is any, like, specific standout, like, what you would say, like, oh, here's a big difference between, like, going to, like, a Polish church I guess, service or I something. I mean, I, I, I did think of a few things, but then I thought about, like, other English masses that I've been to, and they have been done the same thing. Ah. Like, I was like, oh, in Polish church, I guess they sing some of the stuff a bit more, but then I've been to masses mm. where in this one they sing this part, but in this one they just say it, and... Mm. Yeah. Um, God, it's been a while since I've been to Polish Mass. Well, here's what we'll do. You will phone your mother after this podcast and say, Mommy, Mommy, I need to go to Mass. Will you take me? (laughs) 
And she'll roll her eyes and go, oh, okay, Bartek. And then you're going to take a notebook. I can, t- I can give an anecdote, and actually. And you're going to write down all of the Polish church shenanigans. <laughs> but you have, a, you have a story of your own. Sure. Um, one of the last ones that I remember going to was in Poland um, when I became the godfather to my cousin's first daughter, mm-hmm. uh, first child. Um and in Poland, I guess in Polish Catholic churches, they have a. We, we know you know this that Poland is one of the most Catholic countries in all mm-hmm. of Europe. Mm-hmm. Yes, thanks to the Second World War, very much the most Catholic yeah. now. They had a stipulation where, in order to become a godparent, you. <laughs> I swear this is true. You need to get like a written permission from your parish's mm-hmm, priest. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So I had to call mum and say, hey, um, I have to get permission from our parish's priest. So I guess that's Father Michael all the way in East Bentley. <laughs> um, wh- how do I, what do we do? And she was like, um, I'll have a word with him, I guess. And he's always been a very nice guy. And I remember when my mum got back to me, she was like, oh, Father Michael was furious. He he was ranting about how this is why people are turning away from the church, that you need permission to... He doesn't like that it's so stickler yeah. always. Well, I have a Polish Catholic thing in my house. I have a lovely yes. Polish blessing from a Polish <laughs> community that my mother-in-law got because when I was getting married, she felt the need to get us a Polish blessing from a local Polish community nearby and they printed out just some jpeg thing and they didn't adjust resolution so it's just blown out and pixelated to shit so i just have this blurry pixelated polish blessing that even you have a hard time reading because it's just (laughs) so far gone it's hilarious i but that is enough of the... We before haven't had the, a good before the Polish... Baptism, mm. Before the baptism, I had to go to confession. Oh, did you have to confess? Yeah, I had to confess in English to a Polish priest. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, but that's enough of the Polish uh, side of the pod. Let's get into the talking about movies side, where we talk about a movie that came, that came recommended. You recommended the film of discussion for this episode, the 1997 film, if I'm not mistaken. I believe it it is seven. Uh, Mouse Hunt, starring uh, Lee Evans and Nathan Lane, as well as a whole cavalcade. And and a mouse. And a mouse, and a whole cavalcade of uh, guest actors that you'll go, oh, I didn't realize you were going to be here. Lots of great character actors, one or two big names. uh, First uh, directorial project or feature film of Gore Verbinski who has gone on to make numerous films, mainly for us, the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise is the films that he's done. But he's always been a filmmaker that's very involved with a mixture of CGI and practical effects in the movie. The, the, The spectacle of it all, very visually stunning. He also directed Rango, the, uh, animated film about the uh, chameleon that was just, uh, what if we made a children's film version of Chinatown? So that is it. So people, if you have not seen Mouse Hunt before, we always recommend that you check out the films for yourself because we are going to talk about them in depth and spoilers. But Mouse Hunt isn't the most complicated of stories. It's a it's a fairly simple family film that's a crowd-pleasing comedy with a bunch of slapstick and hijinks. It's about 
these two brothers who are having to deal with the aftermath of their father's death, the inheritance that they get, and they find out that this father bought this old crappy house. But perhaps there's more to this house. There's money to be made here, but wouldn't you know it, there's a mouse that lives in this house that they just feel the need to get rid of. But that mouse is always one step ahead of them, and... Oh, hilarity ensues. Mouse Hunt for me is a staple of my childhood. It was always on television. I oftentimes remember Christopher Walken as an actor because of this film. Mm-hmm. He's very memorable. When he comes in, he has a look, he has a cadence, a way of speaking, and just his character of the exterminator here is just so larger than life than pretty much anything else in this movie that as a as a as a say a 7 year old watching this he, he he leaves an impression upon you so even though now Christopher Walken is this actor I'm far more familiar with and I have different points of reference for him as a performer and as an individual I still deep in my heart think of him as that wacky guy from Mouse Hunt but mm. overall I'm a big fan of Mouse Hunt I've enjoyed it very much I was actually having this discussion with my wife uh yesterday when we watched the movie but Nathan Lane is also uh, a person that I often associate with Mouse Hunt even though I love him in uh The Lion King as Timon I have the ability with him for some reason to separate voice actor Nathan Lane from live action Nathan Lane, even though the voice is the exact same and is a very distinct voice. Just something about him in Mouse Hunt, I don't think of Timon at any point, even though the film tries to make me do so. Okay, at well, many I, moments. the listening people can guess which one of us had a Polish dub of the Lion King VHS growing up. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Me, I know. <laughs> yeah, Ryan. Yours didn't have a lector for the Lion King. That's no, correct. No, a lector for those dub. in the not in the know is. Uh, Polish films have a boring, monotone man narrate over the entire film, just telling you what's happening in a very succinct, just here's what's going, like, the woman says the line, and then he'll say the line just over it, like, blah, blah, blah you know, I, I, love, I love you, Romeo. For people that don't know, Poland loves lectors. Oh, oh, it was, look it up, when Stranger Things came out, Poland was furious that they gave it Polish dubs and not a lector. So if you are on a certain version of Netflix, you can actually get the lector version of Stranger Things. You can hear it for yourself. But Bartek, you recommended Mouse Hunt, so I'm curious about why you did that and your overall relationship and history with this film. Yeah, um, I pretty much recommended this film simply because of my history. Mm. It's very foggy. It's foggy. Yeah. As a child, I definitely remember seeing like bits of it on TV. Mm. With with me, like the the early years of my childhood when, you know, I was mostly, you know, only spoke Polish, wasn't too good at English. There's a lot of fogginess there about uh, a lot of things that I'd seen or understood. I remember two distinct parts of this film that have just always been in my mind my entire life. Uh, the first one is the scene where the mouse goes into its little bed and, mm. like, you know, it's falling asleep. you got the close-up of its eyes closing and then, you know, loud thing happens and panic. Mm. And then at the very end when it's on Nathan Lane's shoulder and they're, like, buddies. Just my entire life, 
these two things have just been my idea of this film and the poster. Okay, so I, I do want to talk about the, 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 the second thing that you remembered. Was this at all complicated for you over the years? Because that image, that similar image, is now etched into many people's minds because of Ratatouille. You know yeah, what? It's a very similar Only image. until I watched the film, you know, this morning or last night, whenever it was, did I actually, like, think, like, oh, yeah, it's kind of like Ratatouille. That's mm. funny. Because, yeah, I did remember that, like, oh, yeah, it had, like, they had, he had, like, a chef hat on and mm-hmm. they were talking about some business thing. But, yeah, so I'm not entirely sure if I have seen this film in full. And if I have, you know, I definitely don't remember. But these two images just are stuck in my mind. And I definitely know that I've seen those two images more than once. So um, part of the reason why I picked this was, like, let's actually watch it in full so I can definitely say that I've seen it. Um, and also, um, I'm a fan of a YouTube channel called Only Plays, the mm-hmm. Let's Play channel. And they often talk about, like, you know, random things in their episodes, you know, side non-sequiturs. And in a recent upload, as of, you know, us releasing this episode, they randomly brought up Mouse Hunt and how, like, oh, that's a really underrated film. It's like, oh, yeah, I'd rather watch that than Schindler's List. What? You think it's better than Schindler's List? Blah, blah, blah. Um, So that also spurned it on in my head. I'm like, you know what? We should do Mouse Hunt on the podcast so we can actually, you know... It is It is a wonderful film. When we used to do our previous series, Unappreciated Masterpieces, I never put Mouse Hunt on the list because for, for myself and for people, you know, in my sphere, in my, in my friendship group, this was just agreed upon as, like, it's just one of the great family children's films that you would watch. It would be... Paired with, say, uh, Robin Williams' Jumanji, for instance, like we would never do, we would never have done Jumanji on unappreciated masterpieces because yeah, that was Zathura. just. Yes, we did Zathura, and we even talked about in Zathura why we wouldn't do Jumanji, or at least reference the fact that Jumanji is a very successful, beloved film. And I often think the same about Mouse Hunt, where you and they're not exactly the sim, uh, comparable but there are some elements of a mixture of wacky hijinks and uh, over the top uh, slapsticky action cg and practical stuff being mixed together uh, almost an idea that is so simple yet it is elevated to the fantastical uh but uh yeah, I, I I have a very fond memory of Mouse Hunt. In fact, I've only watched it a, a couple years ago. Rachel and I were in the mood for watching Mouse Hunt, so uh, we sat down and watched it. And then uh, for Christmas uh, last year in 2021, Rachel got me Mouse Hunt on DVD. Oh wow! Good so uh, yeah, I've had it just sitting there. And being like, ah, you know, I have it if I want to watch it. So while we were podcasting about Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, Mouse Hunt was just waiting in the other room. It could have been the Christmas film that we could have watched. <laughs> yeah, because this is also a Christmas it, film. Yeah, it is. That's funny. Yeah. For, for just a small if section. I knew, if I knew that, I might have waited a month. <laughs> ah, it's not Christmas enough. It just It's more of a New Year's movie, if anything, too. Oh, that's true. It crosses over. It crosses over. But uh, um, yeah. in terms of one more thing about my history. So you might, I don't know if you remember this. Back when we did our Castaway episode. I mentioned that that's also a film I watched when I was younger and I watched it with my mum. And I mentioned that one of the things she pointed out to me that like, you know, brought about my awareness of voice acting is like, oh, this guy is Woody. And I was like, oh, wow, I can put a face to the the voice. Um, 
it didn't happen for me in this film with Timon as you know Nathan Lane. Wow, because that's just his voice. But it was Timon. But it was Nathan Lane mm-hmm. because he was also the cat in Stuart Little. Stuart Little. Snowbell. Uh, uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Nathan Lane is is an amazing talent and we will have plenty to say about the the actors and the performers overall. But uh just to briefly touch upon it, I, I had a, a wonderful time watching this yesterday. It really hit the spot. I watched it in the morning after having some breakfast. It felt like I need to have this as a a, a good kick up the butt to my day type film. So I, I watched it and there are some To prepare you for voting. <laughs> to prepare me well, I had just come back from voting for our state election. Oh, okay. So it was a nice Wow, uh, mouthwash effect, I guess. I was washing out the election, election out of me. But um, I enjoyed it very much. There are some things that didn't work for me, some things that uh, could have been improved upon, or some things that I look at and I got a little frustrated with, but frustrated in terms of, oh, they must do this because this is a movie and we need to have these things happen. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there could have been a few more ways of implementing such things in a uh, in a uh, in a manner that is more clever but i still think it holds up very nicely it has a uh, a timeless feel where when is the movie set i don't know like it, it, it everyone looks like they're dressed from different time periods our main <laughs> characters look like they're from 1942 everyone else is like, this guy looks like he's from the 50s. This woman looks like she's from the 90s. This person looks like they're from the 18th century. Like, everyone's got a different uh, time period aesthetic. And in turn, it made the film timeless. And since it is also clearly hearkening back to the golden age of cinema or even silent era cinema with its comedy sensibilities, this is an Abbott and Costello type film. This is mm. this is something that you could easily see some giants like them doing or even... I was thinking if you cast this film in 1948, uh, Lee Evans' character would have been Danny Kaye, Mr. Walter Mitty himself, very easily. Mm, yes. Without even thinking about him, like, that's Danny Kaye playing this role. He would have absolutely had a blast doing it. And so it has a timeless feel because it's also harkening back to a style of comedy in movies that just, when it hits... It hits. So what did you think of Mouse Hunt, having walked in, pitching it, and saying to yourself, I have a vague memory of this. Now I want to have a full picture of it. What did you think? Yeah, I, I really put it on a you know kind of deified pedestal. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, with that in mind, I did like the film quite a bit. Um, I, I kind of wish that I loved it. Uh, because, you know, I did hype it up so much. It would have been this, you know, like, perfect conclusion to the story of Bartek. Like, oh, you know, I carried these memories, finally watched it. And, and it then walked out brilliant. and punched a wall and let all the prisoners free, yeah. Yeah, yeah story of Ricky. I watched that before this. Um, well, possibly. We don't know. It's foggy. Um, you did it before the podcast, at least. We talked about that before this. <laughs> We talked about story of Ricky before the podcast. Uh, yes, before the podcast. Yeah, probably at some point. <laughs> but uh, you were saying, um, yeah, I liked it. Kind of wish I loved it. So that does kind of bring my mood down. But you know, let's focus on the positives. It was a good time. It was a, a very good time. So 
let's just uh, crack into the opening of this. Since I wasn't aware last episode that you hadn't seen this movie in f- like in the most full fashion, yeah, I just kind of spoiled the opening, I guess, because I mentioned like the dad's funeral and the f- body flying out. Because you you said it in a way where it's like, yeah, we're going to watch a film. I you know a film I know, Mouse Hunt. I'm like, oh, we all know Mouse Hunt then. Yeah, I, I didn't remember the body bit, but I remembered you mentioned the funeral. I'm like, oh, I guess that's how the film begins. <laughs> <laughs> and I would, I, I, you know, this is me. This is if you've listened to Spin Polish before, you know there are actors that uh, excite me very much when they turn up in a project. If this person wanders in, even if it's for a brief little role, the film will go up a lot for me. And William Hickey, who is the father in this, uh, he's one of those character actors that I absolutely adore every time he uh, appears i smile he just had this unusual screen presence the voice what he physically looked like the the way he would play characters emotions uh big or small he could be a sleazy guy he could be a crank he could be he, all of these things we've seen him in a few projects we've done he was in the producers even the original yeah, mel brooks yeah. producers as as the drunk that they had to deal with and so uh, and oh, my blue heaven! He was uh, he was quite great in that. He was the reveal of a certain plot point in that film. And then uh, Major Payne, he was the head of the school, who was all about collecting insects. And I just really like him. And this is his uh, final performance, and it's dedicated to him. He was yeah. dying while making it, and you can. I, and I don't mean this in any disrespectful way, but you can tell, like you, you well, can in, tell that this is a the guy one, who, who, like in the one scene we see him in, in where he's, he's dying, moving, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he's not dead in the film, he's in a flashback where he's dying, <laughs> but he looks properly ill, and he's it works, so skinny. <laughs> he works in the benefit of the movie, but uh, I, I, I smiled so much, and uh, memories came flashing back when I saw the portrait on the wall. I'm like, oh, right, this gag is so good. I can't wait to hear what Bartek thinks about the portrait gag, where it changes expressions depending what the boys are might doing. Have, yeah, the... might have been one of my favorite things, yeah. <laughs> and it's just one of the few movie props that I would legitimately like to own in my house and hang it on the wall, this giant portrait of William Mickey looking disappointed in you. Every day you got to pick a random one. Yes, yes, and change it up and never mention it. But um, I, I just really liked him, and he's one of those character actors where he just has that look where he is a character in this movie without even needing to be in this movie. Just he's in that one scene properly where he gets to talk. He's in the opening where it's just his body and he flies out, but then it's just the portrait of uh, of uh, of him throughout it, and I, I just really... Love that performer. Final time he got to work, and uh, he he makes an impression throughout well, the runtime. That's pretty much his role in this film is to have this posthumous uh, impression, and you know, again, basically walking in blind, like not even remembering a single thing about this father character from my foggy past. The film opens with a quote from him about string, <laughs> yes, and me again. I don't remember any fine details about this film. Like, why is there a quote about string here? (laughs) And then it very much became kind of an equivalent to, like, stamps from Tommy Tricker or the fax machine from Rockin' Bullwinkle, where, like, string is a very big deal. 
um, but not to the same extent because it's kind of like a done and dusted like thing of the past that's still mm. sticking around in the film. So there was a lot of, yeah, that kind of humour where, like, people are taking string very seriously, <laughs> but then it's also mixed in with, like, uh, move on, this is the modern day, we, we use nylon now kind it's, of thing. Yeah, that's a chord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... And in terms of, if we want to get real analytical now... A world without uh, string is chaos. A world without string is chaos, but, yeah, the string that he gives them is is also... Uh, it gives them luck, of course, but it is... Uh, 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 an artifact of the past, as is their string factory. And by the end of the movie, we we get to a point where the brothers have forged their own path while continuing what the father put down. Like, they aren't abandoning string entirely, but they've uh, moved forward in direction with it, where they're incorporating the things that the two sons actually are passionate about. Where yeah. Lee Evans, he he likes string well enough, but uh, yeah, he's following he, the father's legacy, you know, pretty bluntly. But but the Lee Evans character is mainly concerned about maintaining quality of the string factory, making sure that the workers do get what they deserve as well as just following, uh, keeping the torch alive for the dad. Well, Nathan Lane, he's all about fancy food and in, uh, yeah, cooking, innovating on recipes and and uh, yeah, and and stuff of that variety. And uh, yeah, I, I really liked the whole string aspect of this. And realistically, the string thing is an excuse to have some very over the top physical set pieces mm-hmm. where yes. I'm sorry if, I'm, if I say this word too many times in the episode, but wacky is uh, the word that best describes mm. uh, Mouse Hunt. This film is, yeah, very slapsticky. Sticky. Sticky. Um, it kind of, I mean, it, obviously it begins with the funeral scene where the father falls into the... the First we the get sewer. them two bickering about things at each other, just the you get the dynamic mm. of these two yeah. brothers. And it, and it it's a it's a good way of introducing you to the tone of the film because before you see them and before they speak, you know, you're watching a funeral, it's like raining, it's muggy. It's kinda of like the beginning of Oscar, kind mm-hmm. of. Um and then yeah, them bickering and, you know, breaking the the handle, uh, you know, kind of shows you, oh, this is what the film is. Um, and then even though there are some very silly things that happen between that point and when they get to the house, um, the slapstick is kind of on the back seat for mm. a lot of it. So for, for myself, like hearing this, oh yeah, this is a slapstick film and it has that beginning. The fact that it took a while to get to like the main slapsticky part kind of, uh, gave me a little bit of whiplash. Um, but I look at it not as, to any sort of negative degree. Well, no. Here's something that's uh, rather good about the slapstick in the movie. There's many ways you can go about it. There's rules that you have to set down. And people, when you watch this, you don't even think about this because it's slapstick. It's funny. It's wacky. The, the The mandate that they have in this is Lee Evans is the one that is the generator of the physical comedy. Yes. But the rule that they maintain for most of it, if not all of it, is he does not do it on purpose ever. It's always an accident. It's always 
one little thing happens and it leads to another thing. So even breaking off the the handle yeah, of the I coffin is not his fault. He didn't do anything. It just mm. happened to it was him. An, it was an so, emotional reaction. Yeah. So you you and even then, like who would expect it to come up? Like he didn't even yank it that hard. So yeah. there were many moments, or when he sticks his finger in the ceramic egg, and then he's having to deal mm. with that. And he, it almost feels like yeah, he's got like superhuman strength that he's not aware of. Yes, until and, it like you know lands him into trouble. Also, there's a fantastical element to the film so there's even a level of uh it almost feels like god or fate or whatever just punishes his character with uh these type of hijinks where he's a good he's a good guy he's he's well-meaning but there are just these things that happen that shit on him like his wife leaves him because she hates him or when he tries to get a cheese sandwich at this place and then he doesn't want the capers then oh it's his brother that's now working he's just hiding behind a newspaper and i understand what you're saying though they 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 put a the 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 they they tell you up front we're going to be very physical in this movie and then i would say for maybe 10 maybe 15 minutes they hold back on it in little ways yeah. where it does make you think well okay they're just waiting to do it when they get to the house because a film that i would compare this to that we have done on the podcast and i'm curious if this came to your mind during the watch of it at all is the ben stiller film and drew barrymore film uh, duplex was mm. often at the front of my mind when watching Mouse Hunt, where you have this uh, seemingly uh, easy to uh, get past obstacle in that movie. It's a little old lady rather than a mouse, but they do all of these things to try and get rid of this problem, and in the end, it defeats them, and they have to make do with it. And uh, different films, but. There's a lot of similarities to it. I, yeah, I didn't think of Duplex at all, which is crazy because of the Polish title, The Old Lady Must Disappear. Mm-hmm. It's basically kind of similar to Mouse Hunt, you know. Mm-hmm. Hunt the antagonist, get them out of here. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, just for your sake, Ryan, the Polish title is Stara Pani Musi Zniknąć. Zniknąć. I love that. <laughs> but uh, uh, let's go a bit further in. When they do... Um, Get to the house. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, well, I want to know your opinions on uh, Nathan Lane, I guess, because there's a lot of Nathan Lane stuff at the beginning. He's he's very much the main character of the film. Yeah, I would say Lee Evans is more supporting in comparison. So, what did you think about uh, they, his overall yeah, they, setup? They do share it, but the the balance is very different because he. And he addresses this much later on, where he was the one that was always kind of left out in the, mm. you know, three man dynamic of like the son and the two sons and the dad. Mm. Um, yeah, he was a lot of fun. He, um, yeah, he he's got that voice, that very charactery voice. Um, you can tell very easily that he is kind of like a showman in this story as well, because, you know, when he's at the restaurant, he's got this French accent on the whole time. He's just saying random words, foreign <laughs> words. Like, yeah. they're not even French words. He said El Biblioteca at one point, he and did, I laughed yeah. at that a lot. Yeah, so he, he very, very much like a, yeah, funny guy. Um, you know, his interaction with the mayor and his family was a lot of fun, and, you know, a lot of, some slaps that came from that as well. Mm. Um, yeah, you got a very fat man talking about how he's, you know, kind of on a bit of a diet and he's got the big lobster. <laughs> I I really loved 
Nathan Lane's expression when all that happened and then all the press comes back at him and he's just got mm. this hang dog. I'm I'm done. I'm I'm fucked. Like he he, he was basi- no battle to be fought. That here. was basically like a live action newspaper photo. <laughs> like when you look at a newspaper photo, it's not Harry Potter world. It's not animated. It's just still, but he's it's it's just him there. <laughs> and just how this is a character with a lot of bluster, a lot of confidence within themselves, a lot of bluster. That's a good. Word. I don't need you to tell me how things work because I'm already got it in the bag. But that moment there is just showing us what we'll see a lot in the movie which is his character when the chips are down he just goes okay i i lost just silent defeat like this house defeat, will yeah. never this last forever house breaks behind him he doesn't even turn around he, he knows he knows and that's demonstrated in that restaurant scene where he's just like yeah okay my my restaurant's done i'm over <laughs> uh, i'm ruined okay that's just how it is <laughs> it's kind of similar to last week when we were doing um uh, city slickers there was that part where um uh billy crystal is like he's right behind me isn't he mm-hmm. very very aware of something behind them i love nathan lane in general i think he's a very talented performer he has that very extravagant voice of his he you know that he's just at the cusp of wanting to sing in every scene he's in he's one of those actors too where he, he's very flamboyant and very uh very old timey at the same time. He, uh, he, we love his voice, of course, but he he has a great physical presence. Just how he looks in the movie, the mustache. I, I said to my wife Rachel, I said that's a perfectly mm. made mustache. The, the hair for, is very neat too. A perfectly made mustache you for just, a comedy character. You just want to cover it in sewage. Mm-hmm. Yes, and. You want to see it twitch with anger. <laughs> and I often think there's the television series Arrested Development, and David Cross is a character in that uh, series, and he plays a character of Tobias. And he said when he accepted the role, I want to have a mustache. I want to have a little mustache. And the, the head of uh, that network at the time refused the mustache and said, mustaches are out we don't do mustaches in comedies anymore. They've been overused in comedies. Okay. And he was like, what the fuck are you talking about? I want to wear a mustache. So he wears a mustache in the end. And I will say for, for that character, you know what David Cross is like. You know what he looks like. You know how nerdy he is. You have that bold man with the big round thick glasses and like a dweeby Ned Flanders like mustache. And you're like that. Yeah, you're already having a little giggle because you mm-hmm. go, I already know what the character is. You already know what a loser they are and what a dork they are. And I thought that with Nathan Lane where it's like he has this very dignified, uh, almost... Uh, um, yeah, like showman I guess. Showman-y. He, he very much reminded me of... Uh, not so fully, but because he he's far more blustering, as I said. He's far more pig-headed, but he reminded me of... Uh, I'm forgetting his name, but the lead actor from uh, uh, Pink Panther, the one that's not Peter Sellers, the the actual lead of the movie Pink Panther, the very dignified. Oh yes, him. I'm forgetting his name I've off forgotten the top too, of my yeah. head, but a uh, wonderful actor. But he, he Nathan Lane reminded me of him a lot in this at points as well, where he's oh so dignified, but when silly things happens to him, he has to kind of double down 
on 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 the uh, uh, on the insanity, and you just see him start to unravel. Like, no, no, that actor who a dignified ter- cat thief guy, yeah. Yes, but uh, in Pink Panther, and that actor, he uh, he 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 maintains that uh, uh, gentlemanly persona much more than Nathan Lane, who. Uh, by the end of this, is a ghoul. He's just a ghoul. <laughs> and uh, I very much appreciate Nathan Lane as an actor. Whenever he shows up, I always get a smile. He is wonderful in The Producers. If there's anything to take away from the film version of The Producers, it is Nathan Lane just carrying the entire thing on his shoulders. And uh, he's, he's he's very magnificent to, to watch. Is it David Niven? Yes, David Niven. Yes, Nathan Lane reminds me of David Niven at points in this. But uh, Timon is often what people our age associate uh, uh, Nathan Lane for. It is the exact same voice. Yeah. It is the exact same voice. Uh, talking about Timon, we also got Pumba in this movie. Yeah, I didn't realize that until I read about it afterwards. You didn't hear it in the voice. He sounds exactly like Pumba. I'm gonna, no difference. I'm gonna go voice. home. I'm gonna listen to it and not gonna think I'm an idiot for not hearing it the first time. He sounds exactly like Pumba. <laughs> it's 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 very and he looks like what you imagine the guy who I, I talks as Pumba does. <laughs> I think I was just so enamored by the location he was at. Yes, and what he was setting up. Mm. But uh, Mouse Hunt is a film where it is got a simple premise. These people must get rid of this mouse from this house. And they go through the different steps to get rid of the mouse, and each step fails, so they go to another tactic, and another one, and another one. And as they do this, you know that the house that they're trying to sell for a lot of money is going to get torn up and destroyed, and the value of the house is going to go down and down. But it doesn't matter because... Nathan Lane specifically has become a real, he will become a real Captain Ahab type character. It's like, I must kill this mouse. The money loan no longer matters to me. And, <laughs> and his brother's like, no, but it really does matter. <laughs> it really does matter. Why did you buy a jacuzzi tub? And I think that that type of movie idea, same as I referenced uh, the Ben Stiller, Danny DeVito directed film Duplex, has a very similar thing he where did you have direct it, that. And he narrated it. <laughs> yes. And uh, it's a very similar idea of, you know, you have uh, normal people, maybe a little bit selfish and arrogant, and they just have a little simple problem and they take this step to get rid of it, but it just makes things worse. But they don't learn any better. So then they do this thing and then it gets worse and worse and worse. And we see just how depraved or how insane it's going to uh, become. And so what did you think of Mouse Hunt in terms of that type of structure of a movie? Because it presents itself as going to be that rather quickly once we get to the the house itself. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting effect because the the film also uh puts a lot of deification on the house when they discover like oh it was made by this architect like something Lyle LaRue. Mm. Um and and after you find out that character's name you discover like oh he's he's like the biggest deal all these people love the house they want the house this is a really important thing and it really sets the stakes like there's there's a really high stakes here so when you mix that in with Nathan Lane you know slowly becoming more like an Ahab um it all of the destruction that happens to the house really kind of hits you hard like it it very much falls into, at least it did for me, like very cringe comedy 
mm-hmm. uh, territory. It's like, oh my god, it's getting more and more destroyed. <laughs> Poor, uh, who's the other brother? Lee Evans. Poor Lee Evans. Like he's he's really taking really hard. But he's also an idiot. He's also an idiot. Worse. Yeah, and and he goes along with his brother for a lot of it. Like when they got the gun, it's like shoot, 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 and that's when <laughs> the big explosion happens. Very much a Looney Tunes moment that felt like that's something you can imagine uh, Elmer Fudd doing. <laughs> it's like, boom, and then Elmer Fudd or Daffy Duck when he's in like antagonizing or Bugs Yosemite. Bunny. Or your Simity Sample, yes. That's a great one. Anyone with a gun. Anyone with a, a Marv and the Marsh. <laughs> <laughs> but look, look. Anyone, anyone who hates Bugs Bunny is what we're saying. <laughs> what The guy that keeps commenting on our YouTube videos, does he hate Bugs Bunny? I don't know. Man, if you Alien want to come... in a Martian body? Martian in a human body? Oh, uh, yeah, my friend Nick. Nick, Nick, if you're listening to this, Hi, Nick. Uh, do you hate Bugs Bunny? Let us know. Let us know. You have a Marvin the Martian uh, profile pic. He comments about me sometimes. I, it makes me blush. Hear that, Nick? You make Bartek blush. We call that the BB effect. Bartek blush <laughs> effect. The BBE. The BBE. BBE. I, is BBE a, an, an initial for something in real life? I feel like it is, and I feel uh, like it upsets I know there, me. I know there are two things that are BBC. Ah. <laughs> Very funny. So, um, yeah, you were saying the the overall structure, you you, you get accustomed to it and you're like, okay, it makes you cringe at points. It it gets a reaction out of you is what you're saying. Yes, definitely, for sure. And I guess, yeah, when I was describing it there, I guess I really didn't appreciate, like, how those stakes really set up that reaction. Like, if you didn't have... The whole thing of you know the 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 Larue, you know the the auction. There, there's a lot of money in stake for this. Like if it was just like, look, let's just sell this, get the fifty thousand. We need to renovate it. It probably would have felt a bit more like, uh, are we done yet? Where a lot of that film was like the house getting destroyed, but the stakes, I guess, weren't as high because they weren't trying to sell it. It's just like, oh, we're going to live here. So as long as it gets done, it's fine. And you know, it's and they're that, not trying to impress someone else with this house. They're trying to impress themselves. And a, a big thing to praise Mouse Hunt for is it has a insanity within it. It just is, oh, Christopher Walken's character is this crazy, weird character, but it elevates its levels of insanity and it has an internal logic that the audience can understand of why this crazy set piece is happening, why our characters are making these choices, or why now when we're 50 minutes in, we are getting this uh, this uh, um, elevation into uh, hijinks. While something like uh, Are We Done Yet? It was just fucking crazy and weird at the random points. There was no real rhyme or reason for it. Mm. And then it will do the try to be very sincere and sweet, saccharine, let's get a genuine emotion out of the audience. And Yeah, that was with, a big part of our discussion. With Mouse Hunt, it does have the very similar to City Slickers, the formula of a American block, uh, American Hollywood comedy where you have your characters grow and feel remorse and have a change of heart. You do have those moments, but they're woven in from the very beginning. Hence the introduction of this where we talked about William Hickey's character if you didn't have that be sewn into the fabric that is Mouse Hunt the Nathan Lane change of heart or his overall flipping around in the movie or even when he is somebody who can't kill this mouse when they have the opportunity to kill this mouse 
if you didn't have that William Hickey uh, uh, character just uh, being the shadow in these people's lives and helping dictate their emotions on a, even a subconscious level, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't make sense. And it would be like the Ice Cube film, Are We Done Yet? Where, oh, it's just doing this moment because that's what you have to do in yeah. your script. And it can be very obvious the strings and i mean that both as a pun and also just in genuine the strings being pulled from the writers to get the story to where it needs to go and to manipulate the audience into feeling the things that need to be felt at this point in the movie because that's what you do mouse hunt even though it is a family film it has some issues for me i think it doesn't cheat it doesn't belittle the intelligence of the audience. It doesn't uh, uh, try to play to the back row as much as it easily could with a, a film of this nature. And with such a cute mouse. It's a cute mouse. The The bed scene, I can, I can see why you remember it so much. It's a very cute little puppet that they've got there. Uh, I love when it's react when it reacts to the nails being driven in and has mm. like a it has a like a whoa and you see its <laughs> eyes bug out it's just such yeah. a brilliantly done and uh, it reacts to uh christopher walken eating its droppings too mm, there's there's also the the beauty of the little bed scene makes it so and this is uh, also a difference between this and the film duplex is that the mouse isn't a malevolent asshole antagonist while in duplex little old granny was a villainous asshole character she was a scheming bitch but here when you see the mouse and he has a little bed and he's collected things and he's got a little home of his own you as the audience are won over to the mouse you're like okay look whatever the mouse is going to get up to in this movie i'm i there's going to be a part of me that gives him a break because he just wants to live his life too mm. It's funny, I feel like I brought up this subgenre of film a few times in the past two months, but uh, with slasher films, like the <laughs> the logic of like the slasher villain, it's like, oh, they can kind of like, you know, basically teleport, show up anywhere. The mouse kind of has this going on, but the fact that, yeah, we do get that sort of humanizing element to the mouse, like its little bedroom. Yeah, it does lead you into this idea that, yeah, it's not a malevolent entity that can just, you know, turn up anywhere. But, yeah, I, I really liked the dual nature of the setting of the house because, yeah, for Nathan Lane and Lee Evans, you know, it, it's a house, um, it's a very fancy house, very old house, and it's got that, you know, look and feel to it. But whenever you're in the walls or under the floorboards with the mouse, it just feels like this like castle or dungeon. Mm. It's like, look at all this, you know, rubbish here, dust there, forgotten objects here. Expansive. Expansive, yeah. Just it, it feels like a whole new world. It's really, really cool. I think maybe if I did watch this film as a child and it's stuck in my subconscious, like maybe that would have captured my imagination. We mentioned this from time to time. Uh, I specifically talked about this, about the director, Robert Wise, who directed uh, The Sound of Music and uh, uh, West Side Story and for our podcast, The Haunting. He was a director that really knew how to give the audience an understanding of the geography of the places we're set in. And 
I commend Mouse Hunt very much for doing that. We are in this house, and I got a very good understanding of what was where, even within the walls. You you talk about how horror movie villain transports over places. The mouse does do that, but there's also so many scenes where it painstakingly shows us from either a first-person view or Nathan Lane and Lee Evans looking at the mouse, how the mouse gets from place to place. So since it does set up that, when it does just go to Christopher Walken's van out front, we've seen so many times in the movie how the mouse complicatedly gets from place to place that you we can just yeah. fill in the blanks of what they're not showing That's us spot anymore. On. Spot on, yes. And... I really also want to uh, commend again the script and the direction or the overall production of they keep the mouse at the right amount of it just being an animal and it being this almost sentient thing that has a point of view that's making deliberate choices. Because when we do have the Christopher Walken, uh, I guess, demise, that is, I would say, the most overt uh, a moment in the film where the mouse is making an active choice it feels like rather than just being a mouse who's just doing animal instincts there's that and when uh it's watching nathan lane and lee evans outside on the window as the vacuum cleaner is being filled up with shit those are the the two most direct moments when we're in the proper thing outside of the ending where nathan lane's literally talking to it but those are the two moments where I would say it feels the most this is a sentient creature that's making deliberate choices and having reactions where it is antagonizing these characters on purpose rather than just being this creature that is just seeing things happen and reacting to it as well. Uh, during the auction when it comes on the podium and eats the string, that too, maybe. That's a good example, I would say, too. But also, it's still animally enough. Like, it didn't feel to me like I'm eating the string because it matters to you. Well, but, but we've established before that the mouse has, like, you know, it can make a sandwich, it can mm. eat this like, whole that round bit of gouda, so it's like, now it's going to string? Yeah. Can we talk about IMDb? I don't know if you read the trivia for this. I f- At all. think I skimmed it, maybe? IMDb has it in the spoiler section, and we know for a fact that anyone with an IMDb account can enter trivia, so yes, especially take if they, that into consideration. If they don't like actors in Ed Wood, you'll know it. <laughs> it talks about in the trivia, there's the notion that the mouse is the reincarnation of their father. Reincarnation. Okay. What do you... <laughs> you don't like that theory? <laughs> well, I, re- I read on some other theory that the mouse is really, really, really old, so it can't be reincarnated. Because there was a whole thing like, oh, a body was found in the basement. Mm. And when Christopher Walken was found, it was also in the basement. So it's like, does the mouse put people that it defeats in the basement or something like that? I have no clue. It's It's something I did not think about in the slightest when I was watching the film, so... You know, when I read that about, like, oh, yeah, it did mention there was a body found in the basement. But I just want to mention that, um, can we talk about some of these guest actors that showed up? Were there any in particular, including Chris Walken, that you were uh, surprised or happy to, to see? Or any just standout um, minor characters? I mean, I did I did read that Christopher Walken was in the film before They give him a credit. Yeah. Well. But by the time he showed up, I'd kind of forgotten all about that. So when he did show up, I was like, oh, of course, yes, he was meant to be in this, and here he is. Um, I 
I liked the I forget his name, the guy who really wanted to buy the house and、mm. has never spent more than ten million, and he wants his forty third house. Ten millions, yeah, yeah. Because he's foreign. He was funny. He was good. I rather enjoyed that character. I wish he was in it more. Yeah, it felt like oh, we've got a second fat character. You know, the first one died. Now we've got the second one. He's eating all the cherries. <laughs> mm, 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 smacking his hand.、Uh, I like、uh, yeah, Christopher Walken. Fantastic. He's Insane, like his vocal performance、mm. in the first scene he's in is like absolutely nuts. He's he's walking the shit out of this. In、e- in this wacky world, he is the eccentric. Yeah, it reminded me of when he shows up in Pulp Fiction and like whoa whoa what, and then he's just delivering a performance that's completely off kilter to what everyone else is doing, and yet it helps enrich the film. That's the walking effect is. Especially at this period, where he was, I would say, at the height of his powers as an actor, where you throw him in and it just makes the film better. It's been a while since we've done a film with him. It's it, been、right? a little while. I can't remember the last one, but I, I you know, he、I'm、is scared to say Stepford Wives because I was so old. No, <laughs> we we did、uh, Father oh, Figures. Oh, oh yes, I was about to say Nine Lives, but that was before Father, Father Figures. Father Figures, thank you. Hey,、uh, and I, I, I love him, and I adored his character. He was、mm. just exactly the level of cartoonish escalation we required in the movie. Yeah, and、uh, I also got to mention we we did have Pumba in this movie, so it、yes. was great to see him as well as hear him. But there were a whole bunch of other little character actors that popped up. I was like, hey, it's it's you. There's the guy from the historical society that told them about the thing. He was a little balding guy with a big mustache.、Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a character actor, Michael Jeter. Uh, uh, who was in a bunch of things?、Uh, he was in、uh, the Green Mile. Even he was just one of those little character actors that was in everything. He was also、uh, a gay man, so he often would also play roles that were gay characters or just characters that inhabited that world sometimes as well. But he's one of those great character actors that if you look at his IMDb, you go, "Oh yeah, him. I love that guy. He's he's been here, here, here. He、uh, often plays nebbish roles or these kind of I'm eloquent." Quint,、yeah. But in Green Mile, I, he's like a filthy criminal. He's he's wonderful in the Green、yeah. Mile. After I finished watching the film, I went on the Wikipedia page and I like opened up every hyperlinked actor just so I could、mm-hmm. because you told me some things and I was、mm-hmm. wanted to confirm.、Um, and I remember seeing his picture on IMDb. I'm like, oh, I think I've seen this guy in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, he, and there were a few things in the filmography. I'm forgetting what they were, but I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen this a few of these things. The Lee Evans' wife. Was、uh, one of the main actresses in the comedy show New- News Radio, which starred Phil Hartman and Dave Foley and、uh, a few others,、uh, and eventually John Lovitz. So it was actually great to see her. She was one of my favorite characters from News Radio, and I don't see her in many things, especially movies. She seems far more of a TV person. So I was actually happy to see her. I was like, hey, and I liked her character for the little we got of. Lee Evans' bitch wife, I, I rather enjoyed, and、uh, I also was overjoyed to find out that at least one of the、uh, the European hair model people was、mm. actually from Denmark. So 
There you go. They, they actually had someone with an actual accent doing uh, I got funny a funny re- accent. So I was, I was overjoyed with that. I got a really good laugh at the hospital scene with them. Oh, they were they were marvelous. <laughs> and uh, of uh, a big one to mention is uh, um, well, there's a few. The auctioneer guy uh, was Ian Abercrombie, who was Mr. Pitt from Seinfeld, who is infamous as uh, Elaine's boss, who eats Mars bars with a knife and fork. That's what many would know him for. Uh, he's wonderful. He was in an episode of Babylon 5 yep. uh, where he plays an alien that wants to end a business deal by having sex. Yep. And his uh, translator was Paul Williams, the uh, singer-songwriter who gave us Rainbow Connection. Yeah. Ryan was telling me before I watched the film, like, oh, there are two actors in this film that were from Babylon 5. I hope you recognize at least one of them. I didn't expect you to recognize Ian Abercrombie because he wasn't in alien makeup, but um, he was not the one I was hoping. I, ha- I have no idea who the other one is. Well, 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 oh, well, boy. well, well, you really were like, oh, it's going to be, you know, no, 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 he played an alien. So, Did the mouse play Sheridan or something? So, guys, we're going to pull over. No, it's a guest star character uh, from B5. He was in two episodes. The actor's name is Jose Ray. Mm-hmm. And in this film, he played the Cuban male person. So when... Nathan Lane and all that delivered mail to Cuba. They were the people who had the mail in Cuba. They're like, what the fuck? And send it back because they sent it to Fidel Castro. And I clicked and went, I know this guy. He looks exactly like he does in Babylon 5. He was in the television series Babylon 5. He was in two episodes as the foreman of the Dockers Guild, Eduardo Del Vientes, who has a whole episode dedicated to the fact that his brother got killed in an industrial oh, workplace accident. That's a really they, early one. And they go on strike. And then there's another episode where there's a news report episode where it's all... The, the gimmick of the Babylon 5 episodes, it's all a news report, and they interview him, and he's all Mr. Blue Collar. He's like, yeah, I just want some money. You know, that's all. You know, just work nine to five, get some money. And I'm like, hey, I've never seen this actor in anything else before outside of Babylon 5, but he has a very recognizable look because no offense to the man, he looks like Mario, the character from the video game. Oh, uh, that Mario. That Mario. Or Mario Mario from the Super Bar- Mario Brothers movie. And he looked... Exactly like Mario here, because he was wearing uh, an outfit that also kind of looked like overalls. And I smiled, and I was like, oh, I I, I don't know if Barsak will recognize this guy, no, but he he was instantly a standout for me. He, he I was, was like, a, hey, it's Mario. He was a very front-loaded character from Babylon 5. Like, that's first two seasons, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. First two seasons. Yep, first two seasons. But, uh, but I remember that character, yeah. Yeah, so there we are, and... Uh, should <laughs> it's from the same episode as the 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 be a guy guy. Yes, uh, that's always that's mystery always mystery box. That's episode. always the big joke of like, oh yeah, right. I'm gonna recognize the guy from that one episode, and it's literally a guy from that yep. episode. Same episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you've learned a lesson, Bartek. Yeah. Pick up your Babylon Five expert skills. You may have to rewatch the series again. I really so am. Really tr- I really to... am trying to be a guy. Yeah. You're really trying to be a guy. And uh, Lee Evans. I want to mention him. Are you familiar with Lee Evans at all? I recognize the name, but it might be that I just recognize the two names. Stand-up comedian uh, in England. uh, Does some acting here and there. But at this point in his career, he was a very prominent stand-up British comedian. And so he went over to America to do a film, this film. 
And uh, uh, from my basic understanding, and this is actually why Mouse Hunt was perfectly timed as well for me. Mm-hmm. I just finished reading a autobiography from a British comedian that I rather enjoy, Bob Mortimer. And he had a whole chapter dedicated to the time that uh, he upset Hugh Laurie the mm-hmm. British actor because Hugh Laurie was talking about with him and he's a big fan of Hugh Laurie this Bob Mortimer he was talking to Hugh Laurie and uh, he made a joke about how Hugh Laurie's gone over to America to make movies and they were talking about uh, Lee Evans he went over to America to make movies and then Bob Mortimer said at least you didn't make a fucking movie where you worked with a mouse and then everyone went silent <laughs> Because um, he didn't realize that he had just put out the film Stuart Little. With Hugh Nathan Laurie, Lane. With Nathan Lane. and But overall, it seems like, from my understanding of even hearing other British comedians and other British people talk about it, that this movie was a mocking point for Lee Evans as a person. Just, okay. oh, this stand-up comedian that we all know, I guess respected, went over to America and made a silly kid's film where he's running around after a CGI mouse. Ha ha, how stupid. Well, it's a kid's film where at one point he says, quote, that he has really good sex. He has really, but (laughs) I I, I can understand that ridicule, especially from a previous era. We, We often talked about this on Unappreciated Masterpieces where someone like Paul Giamatti will get nominated for a Razzie for giving a wonderfully over-the-top villainous performance, and we would often speculate, is it because it's a kid's movie? Like, Paul Giamatti's a full-grown man, they've dyed him blue, and it's a kid's film, so yeah, let's nominate him for a Razzie. Because everyone pretty much agrees that Paul Giamatti's fucking fun in that movie. Like, he's fun. Yet, because it's a kid's film, there's an element of looking down at these grown men or these respected people of an industry having a bit of fun in a in a children's film. Uh, it can work sometimes, though. Uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger made that transition very nicely with uh, Kindergarten Cop. I don't know if you can call that a kid's film. It was very much I a really film I watched as a... For myself and many people, we watched it as kids. That's what we knew Arnold from, was Kindergarten <laughs> Cop. I don't have a tumor... And uh, yeah, but it's very amusing how that works. Uh, the transition some of these people make to family fair. Eddie Murphy, there's a great example as well. Eddie Murphy was a cutting edge, daring, raunchy comedian, and then he did Nutty Professor and Shrek and Doctor Doolittle. No, Doctor Doolittle, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. and stuff like That's, that. And there's yeah, a, I, re- I growing up, I only knew him as like the kids stuff. And there's a level of mockery that is he also can, Daddy Daycare. Yes, yeah. and there's a level of snooty looking down at them for that. And I understand the point of view of that because sometimes it can be disheartening that you get these really funny or really cutting edge respected actors or comedians, and they lower themselves to do kidsy shit, but. I, I personally think that Mouse Hunt is, is, is too high of an echelon to really give the eye roll in that way to someone like Lee Evans. I think he's pretty good in the movie. I, he's not my favorite. Uh, I think, uh, I don't know if you have a strong opinion on Lee Evans in this because he, he's he's the one that also offers up a certain type of humor. Nathan Lane offers up one type of humor primarily throughout the movie. Lee Evans offers up the other type primarily. And I don't know if you had a, a personal preference between the two or any overall opinion on I mean, Lee I, Evans. Look, I definitely liked Nathan Lane more, but you know, I'd, I'd say that Lee, uh, Lee, Evans, Lee Evans nailed the character type he was going for. Yeah. 
there were moments where I did get annoyed with his character because it was, oh, why are you doing this? It, oh, it's because yeah. you need this to happen. And it made me think to someone who gets away with that. If there's one actor, British comedian who does physical comedy where their characters get themselves into scenarios like that where you go, why are you doing that? And you don't actually care because it's that funny. Who's that person for you? Is it Hugh Laurie's friend? What, Stephen Fry? <laughs> no, but from the same show? Is it Rowan Atkinson? It's Rowan Atkinson. <laughs> I, I thought of Rowan Atkinson immediately, and then I wondered if the Lee Evans role was ever in consideration to have Rowan in it. Because mm. this really felt like, to me, this was the after Ripple's, the aftermath success of Mr. Bean. This would have been near the time when they were making the Mr. Bean movie as well. So I was just curious. Another one where a British actor's going to America. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that at all? Because to me, there were so many moments where this felt like if Rowan was here, this would work so much smoother for me. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, a bit, bit, bit more of like a not quite Johnny English type character, but character from Rat Race. I, I want to say he like, you know, kind of bit more dignified, but that's kind of Nathan Lane's thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a problem scripting-wise with this, and I don't think it really addresses it at all in a way that at least I would say is satisfactory. In a film like this, you have the other character who is like Mr. I need to kill or win this, Nathan Lane. And then you have the the moral compass or the heart, which is the Lee Evans character. But you, but in a story like this, in a, in a in a production like this, even that character at some point has the moment where they break and they sink to trying to kill the purse the the mouse, and it comes across like Lee Evans does that at points too, but at, also in a way where it's like. I don't really know why Lee Evans is joining in on any of it at all. Like, there's the point of, like, shoot the mouse and all of that. And to myself, I, I, I know I've brought it up a lot, but in Duplex, there's that moment where Drew Barrymore's character's like, yeah, let's fucking kill this old lady. Like, and you, you understand why she gets to that point. But to me, as a viewer, as an adult especially... I was craving Lee Evans' character to have more of a negative relationship to the mouse to the point in which he would be more willing to actually hurt the mouse. But I didn't really get the sensation of that at all. So there were just points where he's trying to hurt the mouse in this movie and I'm sitting there going, why are you doing that? I guess for a lot of the, especially like near the end where like, you know, he when the mouse is been hit by the orange and they're like you know they've got mm. it dead to rights he does get caught up in the moment mm. a lot rather like if, if if he had time to you know step back and think about it you know he probably wouldn't do it but i i accepted it as just like you know a sort of fight or flight you know spur of the moment decision kind of thing because he does seem to regret it afterwards and then you have that whole argument where um it's after after they you know explode the ground by mm. shooting it, um, you know Lee Evans starts chastising uh, Nathan Lane, and Nathan Lane's like, "Oh well, who was the one who just said you know shoot shoot?" <laughs> and you know he and Nathan Lane's completely right, and Lee Evans probably realized like, "Oh yeah, I did say that, but 
if I was clear of mind, I wouldn't have said that kind of thing. I understand. For myself, I would have liked a little bit more of uh, some key moments within the film for Lee Evans' character. Because to myself, he just comes across as too sweethearted of a guy to be involved in this story. Maybe he, maybe he could have, he could have had like a his own method of like maybe trying to coax the mouse. Rather than like kill it or get rid of it, right? It's like, I, hey, I, I'll give you some cheese if you leave, and then like you know the mouse fucks him over or something. Yeah, that yeah, but uh, that's yeah, that's a kind of what I'm getting at as well. Anything else you want to hit upon with Mouse Hunt? Um, let's see, scanning over the film. Uh the mouse killed that cat, <laughs> Catzilla. Yeah, yeah, cat, the cat didn't make it. Cat didn't make it. It went to the basement. Yeah. That that infamous basement that shows that the mouse is really old. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the cat got wrecked. They never tried to poison it. Ever. There's mention of Christopher Walken with the bug bomb thing, but they never... Ex- this is another thing. Jeez, where, you're right. Where, where, where they... Because it's a movie script, you know that there's certain stages that they have to go through, but as a viewer, you're thinking, well, the first thing I would do is maybe get poison pellets. Or a mouse trap, and then they're like, yeah, they start with mouse traps for yeah, sure. And yeah, and then they go, okay, maybe, maybe, you know, bug bomb or the house or whatever. Okay, they don't do that. They don't use poison at all. And then it's like, okay, how about the next step is we go to a weird fucking like animal shelter place and get a fucking evil cat? It's like, okay, that's not a step I would take. I would immediately go to an exterminator or like a, a rat catcher or something. But no, they go to this weird cat thing, and then they get the bug, uh, the exterminator guy, and then they were like, you know, well, let's just kill it ourselves again with like weapons. And I'm like. There's just some little steps in this movie where I'm like, ah. <laughs> hey, especially when like the first thing they do is mouse trap, and then when that fails, the second thing they do is another mouse trap. Millions of mouse traps. Well, that's that's what they do later on. Yeah, that was a great sequence, and you, it's all real, all real mouse traps snapping. No, the, I think those were CGI mouse traps. You can't have that many. Okay, you got me. There was CGI m- mouse in this sometimes, what? and it was very distracting. But uh, overall. <laughs> Uh, I, 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 I liked it. Uh, Mouse Hunt, you know, it's not a perfect film, but I had a good time. Hmm. Yeah, I I mentioned earlier, like, the fact that I didn't love it kind of soured me a bit, and I kind of walked into this episode thinking, like, oh, am I going to be a bit of a downer? But no, it actually was quite a fun film. It's a good one. You recommend? I recommend it. I recommend it as well. I like the, I like the shot of... Um, Nathan Lane landing in the jacuzzi that's at the bottom of the lake. Mm. He's just got this look like, uh, he's got There a... are many points where they <laughs> should have died. Um, um, two main characters. There's so many incidents oh, for, where it's like, oh, you're dead. For sure. You, you but, are dead. But, you know, the type of slapsticky film it is. But like, it's also a type got... of movie where it's like if Nathan Lane gets hit by a car he, yeah, or a bus, he's properly hit by a bus and needs to go to hospital. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those movies. Yeah. This where... is like, this is one of those films where if we were like an internet reviewer who's like doing comedy, we would like... Ding! <laughs> ding. Um, yeah, we would like have a shot of, you know, one of the horrible things that they go through and then we'll just like cut to credits. Like, oh mm. no, they didn't actually die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the um the ceramic the ceramic egg coming off and hitting the lawyer in the face, and then we hard cut to like them getting arrested by the police or something, and then the movie ends. <laughs> uh, it becomes a legal procedural. 
Uh, yeah, that is... You assaulted the man. You assaulted him. You killed him, in fact. He didn't make it. You crushed his skull in with a ceramic egg. Why did you do that, Lee Evans? And he's like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And then I... the police investigate his background and, like, have uncharitable interpretations mm-hmm. of everything. Mm-hmm. And then... and then Like, the... he wants to run a string factory. That's crazy. And then the judge sentences them to the death penalty. And they're like, why would he do this, that judge? And then the judge goes into his, uh... Chambers takes off the robe and he's actually the mouse. <laughs> That's how you bring it back to mouse uh, the police. Uh, they investigate the office at the string, the string factory. Like, why does the picture keep changing? Why does the picture it's black keep magic. Changing? So, I am recommending the next film uh, for our discussion, and I am going to recommend a movie that I feel would pair nicely with Mouse Hunt. It's a comedy film. This Ooh. is a British comedy film, ah. uh, where specifically the British version. This movie does have an American remake, but I'm not recommending that. I'm recommending Death at a Funeral, okay. which is directed by Frank Oz, actually, who we know from Muppet fame, but is also a well-known director, has done a lot of things, but star-studded cast, lots of British funny people in here, uh, yeah, and yeah, Americans. I saw that well. in the cinema, I think. Death at a Funeral. Yeah. Uh it's just I I pair I think it pairs nicely. It's more it's more uh, adult orientated, but it's I, wacky. Over I remember the it top, being funny. I'm keen to see it fast. Again. It's got yeah. Peter Dinklage is yes, in there too. Yes, that's so, right. I have seen this. Death at a Funeral from I want to say 2007. Uh, but double check. But we are I doing think it the might be British a bit before, but don't quote me on that. British film. So. Watch it. In the meantime, people, you can find us on the social medias of Facebook and perhaps Twitter at uh, Spit and Polish uh, Presents. Uh, you can find us there. You can also email us with your suggestions, your recommendations for films, or if you just want to contact us more directly, our email address is... I'll say it. Spitandpolished at gmail.com. That's all one word. I'll say it. Spitandpolished at gmail.com. This is all given to you in the descriptions below, uh, the social medias, uh, even where you can find our podcasts on other places to listen on. If you have not rated and reviewed the podcast, you have the opportunity right now. Lift up your finger and hover it over whatever device you have and press it. You mash your finky button. We, we really have to specify, like, you know, emphasize this. You're allowed to rate it. You're allowed to, and we you highly recommend you. You don't do. need our permission. You can do it. You don't need me to give you permission, and you don't need Bartek to give you a Polish blessing. When we're not, yeah, we're not your two dads. Like, we, 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 just do it. You can do just, just do it. Okay. Like Ben Stiller said in that one film, just do it. <laughs> you remember that film? <laughs> do it. Do it. <laughs> that do was it. Uh, Starsky and Hutch, right? The film that taught us the difference between a bar mitzvah and a bat mitzvah. Pat Mid- yep, because Vince Vaughn's daughter was having her bat oh, mitzvah. That's that was right. A, that was a, yes. Starsky and Hutch is a very important film. People, please watch Starsky and Hutch. And uh, you know what? Watch that and uh, the A Team movie. Why not? And specifically, watch the watch the the P cut of the A Team that Bartek. Watched. Oh yes, the special cut. The special cut. And while you're at it, watch Kidnap. <laughs> Starring Halle Berry <laughs> and a car and some wacky editing and a dog at the end, kind of. Yeah, I remember that was a right film. It was fun. Yeah. It was fun. Oh, oh, and Halle Berry in a wig. That's also <laughs> the other character, the wig. 
Yeah. What else? What else should we tell them to watch? We haven't done any other Halle Berry movies on the pod, sadly. Don't think we have. Oh yeah, we haven't. We haven't really. Well, Bartek, listening people, recommend us Halle Berry movies, and we'll we'll, we'll give them a go. There's a movie I think called The Call, mm, we which are, was similar to Kidnap, but uh, different enough. We are very very keen to check out some Halle Berry. 